Our speaker this morning is Marion Frakowitz. There's a lot of ways that I could describe him. He's a longtime pastor at Skokie Evangelical Free Church. He's a gifted communicator of God's Word. He's my ethos leader. He's a wonderful example to me as a father of daughters who are now out of the home. Uh, he's, we've talked much about that. He's also a key member uh, with his wife, Esther, of our Gainesville church plant, uh, church planting team, and he will be leaving shortly uh, to go down there with Esther uh, to begin that work, and so please be praying for them in that. I think, though, the thing that I appreciate most about him, the way that I would describe him best would be, is that Marion is a good friend who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves God's word, and who loves his church. So Marion, come bring us the word. Uh, thank you, John, for exaggerating good things about me. Uh, two weeks ago, I was privileged to officiate at the wedding of my daughter, and uh, my second daughter, and uh, from there she moved to New York City, and we thank God that uh, she was not unaffected, but they were unhurt by the things that happened there. Uh, for those of you who are interested, um, and know us. Um, our move to Gainesville, uh, we were waiting for a couple things to get past us. The first thing was the wedding of our daughter, which happened two weeks ago. The next thing will be uh, a memorial service for my mother, which will happen in three weeks or so. And then we are, we, we want to move and are ready to move. The only thing we need is a place to live and a place to work in Gainesville. Minor details, but uh, we have to do that. Uh, we were up here. Uh, we were up here on the platform right before uh, Chipper and Kristen and Steve and Tesh uh, took off for Gainesville and prayed for all of us. And uh, it was sort of interesting to hear the following week, um, after you know, after being introduced and said we're going to the church plant in Gainesville, uh, several people the following Sunday walked up to me and said, "I thought you were gone." I said, sorry, I'm doing my best. I will leave just as soon as I can. That's how it is. Um, I was up here a year and a half ago or so and hardly knew anybody in the church very well. I knew a couple dozen people, but not closely. And now we know a whole bunch of people very well. And uh, to go away will be painful. And uh, we're going to miss you, people we've gotten to know so well. Well, Proverbs. Um, Proverbs are not just found here in the book of Proverbs. And let me start with definition. Uh, when, when you read definitions of Proverbs, you get, you get words like short and pithy and pointed and shocking and thought-provoking and that kind of thing. Okay? So, so Proverbs are meant to be short, sweet, and make an impression in your mind. We all grow up with lots of Proverbs. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. The early bird catches the worm. Um, look before you leap, and all those kinds of things. Let me tell you two proverbs that I learned from uh, when I was in grade school at St. Patrick's School in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Um, from the same teacher, both proverbs. One is a warning. Never stick anything smaller than your elbow in your ear. Okay? It's a safety thing, and I suppose school teachers see kids with pencils in their ear or other kids' ears or something like that. 
And, and uh, the second one is this. It's a comparison. Um, when she wanted to say something was low, she said, lower than a snake's belt buckle. Okay? Get the picture, right? It, it, it makes this impression. The reason I bring these two things up is I sat for a whole school year in the classroom of Sister Mary Robert Cecile, where she taught English and math and social studies and history and everything that a teacher teaches, and I don't remember a single thing that I learned in there. But I do remember the two proverbs. <laughs> and 40-some and years later, I can be driving down the street, and I got a, a picture of myself trying to put my elbow in my ear. Okay, the power of a proverb. So as Jason goes through the book of Proverbs and we learn these things, um, some of these things will stick that away a lecture won't, that away reading a book won't stick. And so make the most of these Proverbs. Uh, proverbs are universal. Everyone's got them. Uh, let me tell you a couple of Proverbs outside of our book of Proverbs. Um, I was in a, a Jewish bookstore a couple of years ago. Power of the Proverb again because it stuck in my mind. And I was reading jokes. I, reading book of Jewish jokes. And one of them was a proverb. Where there's smoke, there's salmon. Okay? You get that, right? If you live on the North Shore, it's very important. From Iceland, a bad rower blames the oar. Okay? You see how proverbs work? And then, in light of recent events, I found a couple from Latvia. Uh, once you've sliced the loaf of bread, you can't put it back together again. And one more from Latvia, and I'm not sure if I should read this one or not. I better not. <laughs> All right. Let the devil in the church, and he will climb into the pulpit. I don't want any of you making any direct applications of that proverb this morning. Uh, okay, the point. Proverbs warn. They teach, they cause reflection, they compare, uh, they, they stir up our thoughts, they make us think. They make us think of how to live in order that uh, we might live wisely, that we might avoid some of the grief that comes uh, in life uh, by our own doing and achieve success. And our biblical book of Proverbs is similar in, in that, in that our Proverbs come in many different forms. There are comparisons, there are warnings, there are commands. There are, there are similes, there are little metaphors, there are, there are all sorts of ways that Proverbs uh, try to get to us with the truth in order that we might be uh, successful in life. Things like, don't be lazy, or the, 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 the biblical word is sluggard, don't be a sluggard, don't be lazy. Plan well, plan ahead, plant your crops on time, be self-disciplined, be patient, don't start arguments, okay? And Jason's going to pull all those things together in the coming months and, and talk about all of that. Um, but how our book of Proverbs in the Bible is different from any other Proverbs out there is in its ultimate goal. You see, one of the goals, of course, is that we, we prevent self-inflicted trouble and problems in our lives. And I don't know about you, but if I were to erase self-inflicted problems from my life, let's say over the last year, my life would be so much easier. But it's because I'm not always wise. And I'm what Proverbs calls a fool sometimes. But when we get to the definition of success in life, 
Um, our biblical book of Proverbs is not out to help us get rich. It's not out to help us achieve high position in this world or any of the usual indicators of success. Proverbs' goal is to keep us in a right relationship with God. Uh, the beginning of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And closing this section of Proverbs in chapter 9 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If I may uh, paraphrase what Jesus said, What does it profit a man if he is self-disciplined, plants on time, uh, is organized, plans, um, isn't lazy, but loses his soul? So, Proverbs is here to keep us right with God and keep us wise in our walk in this world. Let's go to chapter 2. I'm going to read the first four verses. <clears throat> my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, we stop there. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, later we'll get to the then what's going to happen. Um, chapters 1 through 9 are set up like this, every chapter. Um, it's a father addressing his son, my son. And, of course, it's... He's, he's hoping with all his heart that his, his son will grow up to be wise and not a fool. And at the same time, it's our Heavenly Father speaking to us, his children, hoping beyond all hope that we're going to grow up to be wise and not be fools as well. And to be wise and not to be fools, it requires that we receive from God what he has to give us, his instruction, and internalize it and make it, make it our own, um, so that we can figure out how to negotiate and how to navigate our way through life. Uh, listen to the vocabulary. Accept my words. Store up my commands within you. Turn your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. Um, heart being uh, the intellect, the whole inner person, not just, not just emotions, but, but in the Hebrew psychology, it's it's our inside, everything that moves us, everything that makes us work, everything that we do, everything that makes us go ahead. Okay? Let me um, give you an illustration. I have been, in the last couple months, rebuked a couple of times in the Spanish language. Okay? <laughs> now, if you know us, my wife is from Guatemala, and, uh, but no, it wasn't her. Uh, if Jason never gives me an hour up here, I can go into more detail on getting scolded by her, but this was somebody else. Okay. Here is what, here are the words of the rebuke. No haga esto. No haga esto. For those who don't speak Spanish, I'll translate. No. In English, that comes out to something like, like no. <laughs> Paraphrase. Aga, from the word aser, do. Esto, that. Don't do that. You know what I was doing? I was standing like this. That's all. 
That's all. I was standing like this. I was leaning back, and I had my arms folded, and I probably had a rotten look on my face. And the person who scolded me said, no. No, I got esco. You, you look like you're, you're, you're standing in judgment. You look like you're, you're disapproving. I, I didn't mean to do that, and I wasn't intentionally doing that, but that's how it looked to this person. So he scolded me. Okay, and the application here is when, when God's speaking to us, when we hear God's word, um, this is the wrong posture. Like, I will listen and pick and choose what I like. Okay, well, that sounds like it's going to require too much of me, so I'm not going to do that. Posture is important. That's why people long ago used to kneel when they pray. It indicated humility. Uh, the posture that we get from this, these, this opening section of Proverbs is this. Accept my words. Not, not like this, but like this. Store up my commands within you. Grab the stuff that God is giving us. Turn your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. So what you store up inside, um, you, you sift and you look at and you categorize and, and you make it say, how, how does this affect my behavior? How does this affect my thinking? What does God want me to do here? What does God want me to say here in my life with the wisdom he is giving me? So posture counts. Posture counts. And so in the context of Proverbs, it's not the folded arms and the the dirty look on the face, but it's reaching out the hands and it's receiving from God and it's pulling it in and piling it up inside and, and, and listening and, and, and pondering and meditating and saying, what does God want from me today? What does God want from me in this situation in which he has put me today? Moving on, uh, he, he changes the picture to wisdom uh, to, to calling out for insight and crying aloud for understanding. In chapter 1 that Jason talked about last week, it's wisdom that's out in the street and in the marketplace calling out, calling out to be wise and don't be foolish. And here in chapter 2, it's, it's calling back to wisdom. Chapter 1, it's God taking the initiative and saying, I have something to teach you. I have something for you to learn. I don't want you to be a fool. I want you to be wise and smart and, and be able to live this life in a way that's pleasing to me. And in chapter 2, it's, here I am, God. I'm answering back. I'm calling back to you and, and saying, yes, I want to hear. I want to learn. I want to receive what you have for me today. He changes the picture again in chapter 4. He says, look for it as for silver and for, search for it as for hidden treasure. Wisdom is valuable. If you, if you told me, like, in my backyard, somewhere, there's a million dollars buried. I'd go out and buy a shovel, and I'd start digging. And I would dig up, every, you know, I'd dig up roses, and I'd dig up grass, and I'd dig up anything I had to dig up, because if, if I knew for certain there was a million dollars down there. So what if somebody told me, in here is life, the way to life, the way to know the God, the way to know how to live before God, the way truly to have peace in my life and truly to have, have, have fulfillment in my life, what would I do? I'd probably give it five minutes at the end of the day after Leno and Letterman or something like that, right? Wisdom is there to be had. Wisdom is a gift of God, like salvation is a gift of God. But he wants us to work toward it. The Apostle Paul told the Philippian people, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act 
according to his good pleasure. And so, whereas wisdom is God's revelation to us, it also means we have to apply ourselves to it. And we said all of these ifs, um, if you accept my words and if you call out for insight and if you look for it as silver, then there are some results. And here are the results. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The result and the benefits of responding to the Father's words is that we know the Father better. Number one, the fear of the Lord. Um, there's been a lot written and talked about what it means to fear the Lord. Um, I'm sure we all have our ideas on that. Does it mean, are, are we scared of him? Uh, the Bible tells us he's a consuming fire. The Bible tells us it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the fear of the Lord is at minimum the acknowledgement that he is the creator, the only creator, and we are creatures, and it will always be that way. That he is the Lord and the master, and that we are the servants. He gives the orders, and we follow the orders. It is in his hand to save, and it is in his hand to damn. And if we are to be saved, it is the way he chooses and the way that he has provided for us to be saved. So when we open our ears to wisdom, when we accept, when we pile up, when we internalize, when we think it through, when we sort it out, when we see how it works in our life, uh, then, then we put that forefront. We, we, we remember um, he is God and we are not. And there's nothing else to understand. So, first of all, we understand what the fear of the Lord is, and then we find the knowledge of God. And as we all know, but it's worth repeating, knowledge of God is not an academic exercise. It's not reading a book about God. It's not getting a theology book and, and going over the attributes of God and the, the different acts of God and things like that. It includes that, but the knowledge of God is to know him. Think what a great gift that is. The consuming fire who can judge and does judge. The one who is holy above all, who if he appeared to us unshielded, we would just evaporate, wants to know us, wants to be in a relationship with us. And so to listen to wisdom is to, is to understand the fear of the Lord and also to find the knowledge of God. In verse 6, he says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It is a gift of God. There's all kinds of wisdom, but all of it is his gift to help us negotiate life and all that happens in life in a way that is pleasing and right to him. In verse 7, he says, He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithless. Understand what these promises are. They're not promises of a life free of trouble. Proverbs and all of the Bible, but Proverbs this morning, was written against the background of a life that is complicated, that does have trouble, that isn't all, always uh, easy to figure out or easy to... To, to negotiate and navigate. Um, 
he promises his help. He promises that he will always be with us. Uh, there's a New Testament passage that comes to mind when I read this. It was written by um, Jesus' half-brother, James, to people who were, um, also were trying to work out their salvation in fear and trembling uh, against the background of real life, real complicated life, with all of its difficulties and all of its problems, and all of its joys and all of everything. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Okay? He's saying in different words uh, the same thing that um, our Proverbs passage is saying today. We need wisdom to work out this life, to work out our salvation in this life, and God is willing to give it. But we have to be willing to want it. Another benefit, um, understanding the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God, verse 9 through 11, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. How does God help us? One way God helps us is by making us capable of being wise, making us capable of figuring out life, okay? Um, remember the words, accept, store up, bend the ear, apply the heart, call out, cry aloud, look for, search for, okay? Then you're in the proper position of mind and spirit to receive. Because here's the fact, God is always ready to give, but we are not always ready to receive. I know as believers and as Christians, we say we are. You know, God guide me and God help me and God give me faith and God give me patience. But the fact is we're, we're in the position uh, that Jason talked about last week of complacency. You know, it's, it's just easier to stay where I am than to try to change to where I should be. It's easier to coast than to try to go uphill. It's easier to go with the current than to swim against the current. It's easier to say, I'm okay just the way I am. I don't need anything else. But he wants us to sit up, to perk up, to reach out our hands, to say, yes, God, I want you and I need you, and I really mean it. I do want to live right. And if that means it hurts, if that means I have to change, if that means I have to grow in a way I do feel like growing, um, then that's, that's what it takes. But when we do that, we come to this understanding, this is right, and this is just, and this is fair. It's not God dropping something out of the sky. It's God taking the stuff that we've stored up and working in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls uh, to see how does this fit? How do I make this happen in everyday life? There's a little picture behind this every good path, according to one commentator. Um, if a wagon goes down a soft, wet road, it makes a rut. And then everyone else follows in that rut. 
And when that rut dries, that's the road, and you don't have any other choice. So it's up to the believer in his or her life to make our own ruts, the godly rut, the, the biblical rut, the rut that leads in the right way. And as a byproduct, it helps people who come behind us to go the right way. He goes on to say, wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Uh, One of the predictions about Jesus in the book of Isaiah says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So all the things Proverbs uh, wants for us existed in Jesus. And then it ends with this, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Growth in our walk with the Lord, one indicator of it is is simply how much do we like it? Let me ask you this about you and Bible reading. Do you think every day, I have to do this? Do you think every day, oh man, it's, it's midnight and I have to read my Bible? And maybe tomorrow, I'm sort of tired now. Or do you come to say, this is something I love. There's not enough time. I wish I had more time, but i got to go to work to spend a little more time with God and in his word. I had a Sunday school teacher in a different church long ago, and he happened to be a seminary professor as well. And he said this, Old Testament professor, he says, what I do for a living is read and teach the Hebrew Bible. What I do in my spare time as my hobby, and what I like to do is read and teach the Hebrew Bible. There, there wasn't a difference for him. Uh, this was his life. This is what he did. Okay. So to be like Jesus means we will delight in the fear of the Lord. We will delight in the Word of God. We will delight to be taught. We will be like to be corrected. We will delight to be challenged. We will delight in everything he gives us. He goes on to say this, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. It's what one commentator calls a spiritual shrewdness, or I like to call spiritual street smarts. You know, you, you get to a point where you grow in your Christian life, and, and it took me a long, long time. But when you start to see things through God's eyes and through the filter of God's word, I like to think of it as kind of a, a, a real-time internal spiritual GPS. Like we have an old GPS that has maps from like 1980 in it, so sometimes we get lost and, you know. But I guess, I guess there's things like iPhones and stuff that have real-time traffic conditions. So when you're coming to a, when you're, when you're going down, I spent a lot of time going down Highway 65 to pick up daughters from college. When you're going down... I-65 and you get near near Lafayette, Indiana, and in real time it says, oh, there's an accident there, or there's police activity there, or there's traffic jam there, or construction there, or something like that, and it tells you, go another way. And in our spiritual lives, we can develop that too. We can develop this discretion and this, this discernment that says, um, this doesn't seem like the right way to go. I may not be able to define it right now or put my finger on it, but i got to do something different. 
Hebrews, if I may go to the New Testament again, the book of Hebrews, is talking to people who are Christians, but who've got a way to go in their Christian life. Hebrews 5, near the end, says this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is wisdom. This is spiritual discernment. This is what Proverbs is trying to hammer into our heads. It goes on to give two areas where wisdom protects and guards us. Verses 12 through 14. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose ways are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Well, that's pretty categorical, isn't it? I mean, you can't say much worse about a person. Uh, not just they do evil, but they delight in doing evil. Not just they delight in doing evil, but they rejoice in the very perverseness of evil. Now, where do you find people like that? Um, in the ghetto? Yeah. In government? Oh, yeah. Universities? Yeah. PTA and school boards? Yeah. Street gangs? Yeah. Among IT people? Yeah. Everywhere, really. Of course, not everyone is as bad as they can be. That's God's common grace. In fact, most of the people we know, unbelievers, have a whole bunch of good about them. But it's a warning from father to son, in the beginning of chapter 2, it's a warning from our Heavenly Father to us that there is evil out there, and it's by his grace that all of us are not as bad as we can be, and most people, as a matter of fact, do not have the mindset of a Christian. And as a matter of fact, a lot of Christians don't have the mindset of a Christian, where, where, where everything is, is measured and filtered through the Word of God. And so he's just telling us, you've got to be careful. You've got to be wise. You've got to accept. You've got to store up. You've got to uh, uh, sort through in your heart, apply your heart to understand. You've got to develop this spiritual discernment. You've got to train yourself to distinguish good from evil. You know, not, not in, the, in the blatant things, you know, like you're not supposed to murder. Most of us know stuff like that. But where things are not absolutely clear, Who do we mix with? How do we mix with people? Uh, Who affects us? How do they affect us? How do we affect them? So the Christian life um, takes some working, takes some doing. And one of the basic things is uh, don't underestimate the power of evil in this world. The second one is this. Wisdom protects from a bad woman. Verse 16 through 19. It will also save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she has made with God. Okay, father talking to son, watch out for a married woman who is unfaithful. Now, 
I'm a little confused about this, simply in that that doesn't happen to everybody all the time. I'm happy to say it has never happened to me. But then then you say, well, why why didn't Solomon just give a sort of a a, a generic, general kind of uh, warning against uh, sexual impurity, going where you're not supposed to go, doing what you're not supposed to do? I don't know. My own personal opinion is that Solomon, being Solomon, uh, could have, could and did have any female he wanted. Uh, What was it? 300 wives and 700 concubines? And maybe a married woman was a challenge to him. So maybe speaking from experience, I don't know. But we can legitimately broaden this to say, watch out for sexual impurity. Do you know what sexual impurity and sin does to you? It takes you down to hell. For for her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. The wages of sin is death, Paul reminds us, okay, and reminds you of the seductive words of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, did God really mean you shouldn't do that? And he goes from seductive words to saying, no, you will surely not die. But the whole history of the human race proves that sin does bring death. He ends with these words, for the upright, okay, so instead of hanging around and being influenced by bad people, not that we don't hang around with, with unbelievers, but rather than being influenced uh, by bad people or immoral people, he says this, there, then you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Do you know what that means? That means all of us here who are believers and, and, and all of us light years away from perfection, but all have thrown our light in with the Lord and all have decided to follow Jesus in our weakness and in our confusion, in our you know, lack of knowledge. Um, we, we walk hand in hand and we help each other to grow. You will walk in the ways of good men and women and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the righteous will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. He's talking to Jews for whom the land of Israel was so important. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. So wisdom. Wisdom is kind of like grace. Uh, Grace is given without regard to any merit in the person. By grace we are saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. Wisdom does not depend on intellect, education, SAT scores, position, any of that kind of stuff. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. God calls out in the public square. Don't be foolish, be wise. Don't be an idiot. Don't be stupid. But listen to me, and I'll show you the way to live. And the way to get wisdom is receive it, accept it, treasure it, store it up, chew on it, meditate on it, because it's a gift of God. There's a lot of people here who are very young, and um, if Jason gives me another hour or two, I'll talk about all my regrets someday. I wish I'd have done that. 
I wish I'd have started doing this. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I wouldn't keep doing this. I've been a believer a long, long time now. I was a, uh, I was a, uh, I can't think of a, a nice word for it. I was a teenager who didn't know the Lord. And God, by his grace, saved me. And by, God, by his grace, put people around me who taught me good things. And so for over 40 years, almost, not all, almost every day, I've opened the Bible. I am not bragging. I am I'm just saying, by God's grace, he let that happen. But sometimes I'd open the Bible and read one verse and forget about it even before I closed the covers. But, but at least the people around me instilled in me this habit. Okay. And my Bible reading these days is actually pretty good. Again, I'm not, it ought to be after being a Christian for 40 years. But if I could talk to people who are young and I'd say can I have a, a volunteer a victim do you, do you mind I grab you and I shake you what's your name yeah, I'm sorry and I'd shake you and I'd say make that Bible part of your life not, not the five minutes at the end of the day when you can hardly stay awake but incorporate it into your life. This is God's wisdom. This is God's word. This is God's guidance. This is God's light. This is God talking to us. This is God's gift. He didn't save us and say, you know, best of luck. I hope you make it to heaven. He saved us and said, I will be with you every step of the way. I want to make you smart. I want to make you wise. I want to make you obedient. I want to make you holy. But you've got to want it too. And so the first thing to do is, is just take whatever steps, and not just young people. Uh, could I have an old person volunteer? Tim, thank you. <laughs> Norm, thank you. God's word, God's wisdom. Accept it, receive it. But it's up to us to build it into our lives. How important it is? This is how important it is. I'm jumping to chapter 4. He says this in chapter 4. He says, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. It's more important to be wise in the biblical sense than to be rich, famous, powerful, anything. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost everything you have, get understanding. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that though I was uh, the most unwise of all people, uh, by your grace you saved me. I thank you, Lord God, that though I'm still so unwise in so many ways, uh, by your grace you keep me and are willing to teach me every day. Your word says, if I lack wisdom, I can ask from God, and he will give without finding fault, without bringing up the big list of failures of the past years. Because you, Lord, want me to be wise. You, Lord, want me to be holy. 
you, Lord, want me to be obedient in all that I do. And in doing that, I will have joy. And in doing that, I will be pleasing to you. Forgive us our sins. Bring us back to you. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see all that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen.